You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Did you have a good Christmas? Did you get everything you wanted? No? There's always next year, right? So you better be good next year, because if you didn't get everything this year, then that implies something, right? I'm just kidding. We had a great Christmas. Um, Happy New Year coming up, and I'm excited. I need my routine back now. Okay, we had five services over Christmas weekend. It was chaotic. It was awesome, but I also want to say thank you. I love being a part of a church that loves our community and wants to share the message of hope and the gospel with, with everyone we meet and everyone we know. This Christmas season, you helped over 200 families have a Christmas that wouldn't otherwise have one without your engagement. And so thank you for that. And then over their five, five Christmas Eve services, or we call them Christmas week services now, I think. Um, that's, what, that's what churches that are growing and are reaching people have to do. We have to do multiple, multiple, multiple services. Um, but in those services, 40 people made a decision to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they received the best Christmas gift that you'll ever receive. So thank you for being a church that, that loves people. Thank you for being a church that's committed to, to letting God work in you and work through you. And it's a humbling thing as your pastor to be a part of. I love you guys, and I'm honored to be a part of a church that loves their community the way you do. Uh, I've got a late Christmas gift for all of you this morning. It's going to be really good. I'm excited for this to unpack and unwrap. Uh, eight years, eight and a half years ago, before we launched the creek, um, I visited a church in Keller, and uh, the reason I visited was because I used to do ministry in the same building that they had just moved into, and I wanted to go see the building because for me, it was kind of coming home. That's where ministry started for me, and, and so the church that had moved into the grocery store was called Milestone Church, and uh, I walked in the building, and my old youth pastor goes to church there, and he says, Matt, what are you doing here? I said, well, Heather and I are planting a church. He goes, well, I want you to meet somebody. So he takes us and introduces us to Pastor Jeff Little, and he looks at me, and he said, you're planting a church. My heart's with you. What do you need? And I laughed and just said, everything. And he, he said, what have you been looking at this week? And we said, chairs. He said, I'm going to send you money for chairs. So those white folding chairs that we've had for eight and a half years, we've stewarded them well. That came from Milestone Church. And from that, that started a relationship where he has been uh, just a great friend, a mentor, and a big brother. And he says, anything you need, come and get. You know, just come into the house and get it. And so they've been just a really great connection and a really great, really great place for me to kind of uh, walk with people who do ministry and do ministry well in a growing context. They see, they see thousands of lives changed every year, and it's an incredible ministry. And, and one of the men that I got to meet, I heard him speak before I got to meet him, so I was honored to meet him. Um, his name is Jed Walker, and you guys are in for an incredible treat. He's an incredible man of God. I love him dearly, and I can't wait for you to hear this message. So would you, would you guys welcome Jed Walker from Milestone? Well, I got to say, I'm going to do my best to try and live up to that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it or not, but it's a real privilege and a joy to be here with you. I bring my greetings from Milestone Church just up the way in Keller, and we love your church. We love the fact that people are growing. It's been eight years. It's incredible. It just happens. Time goes by and happens so fast, but the stories of people's lives that are being changed is incredible, and you have a tremendous pastor. I hope you realize that. I came to give him a break. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Let, let me say, 
He didn't ask me to do this. He probably wouldn't even like it if I'm doing this, but, but I came to give him a break, and he's still here because he loves you guys, and yesterday he was telling about all the great stories, and he was bragging on you, and, and I got to tell you, I love the church. You might say, well, you're a pastor, Jed. You have to love the church. Well, I grew up in it, and I know it has challenges, and I have church pain like you have church pain, but, but I would say this. You know, Jesus is the reason we're here. He's a big deal. You know, he loves his church. I, I know you probably realize this. It's not a great strategy if you're trying to make friends with someone to go up to them and say, I really like you, but your wife's a mess, right? And, and Jesus loves his church, not because it's perfect and it has no challenges, but because it belongs to him and he paid a great price for it. So we think it's a big deal. And so it's always a privilege to come and be a part of a church family like yours. And so I'm excited. I have a few thoughts for you. Uh, but before we get to those, when I'm meeting people and making friends, I found that most people like me better when they see my family. Look at this incredible family. God has blessed me so much. I, I got to say the greatest name I have is Daddy, and I love these guys. That's Isabel on the far right. She's a freshman in college. I can't believe it. Elijah in the middle is 13. And then my two little ones, eight and seven, both in second grade. And, and being their dad is the greatest joy and privilege I have in life. But moment of transparency, can we keep it real in church? Um, this past week when it was really loud in my house, I was having a moment with the Lord and I was like, God, my wife and I, who's here, my wife, Sarah's here. We've been married 23 years. We were here together before those people were around and we have a plan for that later in life. And so I started to think about when I was going to be an empty nester and I had this thought. My daughter is 19. My youngest, older daughter is 19. My youngest daughter is eight the chances are very good I will be a grandparent before I'm an empty nester. So if you remember to do, just pray for me. Just, just say, Lord, help him. He's got an awful lot going on. Well, here's, here's what I want to talk to you about. An idea maybe you've never thought about before. I'm calling this message, tell yourself the good story. Tell yourself the good story. We're all finishing up Christmas, and I don't know what your Christmas traditions are like. We all have them. People have different Christmas traditions. Some people like to wear matching jammies or you like to go to the movies or you you open your presents on Christmas Eve or you do it on Christmas morning. We all have little traditions. One of the traditions many of us have is we like to tell stories or watch stories. A lot of people like to go to the movies on Christmas Day. We, we went, I think, the day after Christmas. We took the whole family to the movies. Some of you watch movies at home, right? You, maybe you watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life or, or Elf or The Grinch or whatever your favorite Christmas movie is. And why do we do that? Because we love sharing the stories, and it's part of how we relate to one another. At our house, um, we, I, you could maybe pray for me in this area too. It seems like we've been on this constant Hallmark marathon, right? My wife and daughters can't get enough of these things. And let's be honest, ladies, it's the same movie every time, right? Like you have this lady, he, she's our heroine, and you know, she's an architect, lawyer, doctor, accountant, comes back to her small town and, and she's working through her issues in her life and she's trying to figure out what really matters and there's this guy that she has this kind of adversarial relationship and throughout the story they're adversarial and then later, surprise, she sees he's really amazing and they get together. And I'm like, really, you're watching another one? And, and I'm like, it's the same movie every time. She's like, you like those dumb superhero movies? They're all the same. I'm like, no, they're not. They're all <laughs> special. <laughs> we, 
Why do we like all these things? Why do we like stories so much? Right? We, I've never met anyone who's like, you know what? If you're telling a story and someone walks up, they don't go like, why are you guys wasting time? They're like, what, tell me the story. I want to hear. I've never met anyone who said, I've heard enough good stories. I don't want to hear any more good ones. We, we, we all like to hear great stories. We even have a new way to take in stories. We binge them now. How many of you binge stories out there? We're in church. Be honest, okay? And, and as a married couple, this is a new moral dilemma, right? You start a show. Your friends say, man, you got to watch so-and-so. Like, you know, because now we used to have channels that we'd say, what's on? And we'd just scroll through. Now we go to Netflix or Amazon Prime. And what should we watch? And you find one. And, and so you and your wife, you find a show and you start watching it. And one of you falls asleep. And now you have a marital issue because you're at a moral quandary. What do I do? Do I keep going or do I stop? And so I found at our house, if I fall asleep and I wake up, she's like, I'm like, what's happening? She's like, you're four episodes behind. I was like, why don't you tell me? She's like, I tried, you didn't wake up. Now, if she falls asleep and I watch and she's like, what happened? I was like, I'm three, she's like, I'm out on the show. I'm like, why? You can go back. We'll watch them together. No, it's not the same. We're done with that show. It's a challenge. We need like marital counseling for how we binge our shows. Why why do we do this? Well, well, here's here's the thing. Stories, it's not just like, well, I like TV or I like movies or this is my favorite. Here's what I believe to be true. We make sense of the world through the stories we tell. You know, people, sociologists and anthropologists tell us there's never been a human civilization. There have been human civilizations without Wi-Fi, without the internet, without iPhones, without wheels, without fire. There's never been a human civilization without stories. We need stories to help make sense of the world. And the question is not, are some people story people and some people not? All of us tell stories. The question is, as we finish 2019, here's the question. What is the story you're telling yourself to make sense of the world? Because here's the thing I know about God. God knows this about us. He made us this way. There's so many ways he could have chosen to reveal himself to mankind. He could have structured the Bible in so many ways. If he wanted it to be rule-based, the Bible would start with rule number one. If he wanted the Bible to be an instruction manual, I had someone who was well-intended one time when I was a kid growing up say, the Bible's like an instruction manual. I was like, that's not helping. I don't read those, right? <laughs> How does the Bible start? In the beginning. Why? Because it's a great story that helps us make sense of life. Look what the Bible says here in Colossians chapter 1. In the same way, the gospel, you're like, Jed, what is that? That's a churchy word. Sometimes we hear gospel, we think, oh, Pastor Matt was just saying 40 people gave their life to Christ over church services. That's what something gets in the beginning. That's the basic kind of formula. It's the nuts and bolts. It's a church thing of like, here's the equation, and if you get the equation right, then, then you can enter into the kingdom of God. But, but I would suggest it's so much more than that. The Greek word is evangelion. It means the good news. But the old English word for gospel is Godspell, which means the good story. And here's what I want to suggest to you. Look at what happens when we tell ourselves that story. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Here's the idea I want to present to you. We're all going to tell stories. 
We tell stories about what's happening at work. We tell stories about, here's why that interaction with my family went down the way that happened. Here's why this is going on. Here's why I'm frustrated. It's because of this, this, and this. Here's what I would say. We tell ourselves stories every day, but not all stories are equal. And this story, the good story God wants to write in your life, isn't just a story you should hear. Isn't just a religious idea that you should try to be more spiritual with. It's the only story that will help when you tell yourself this story, it helps you grow into the person you were created to be and it helps you to live the life you were created to live. I don't know about you, but as I enter 2019, see, sometimes people think, well, the gospel, that's the thing we get at the beginning. Let's move on to the deeper things of God. I would say there's nothing deeper in God than the good story of his gospel. And when we become the kind of people who know how to tell that story, not just to others, not just to our community, not just to people who are far from God, but when we learn how to tell that story to ourselves, we'll interact with the world in a totally different way. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter four. We're gonna look further into this idea. Here's what I know about you, because it's true of me too. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We all want to feel like our life is significant. We all want to feel like our life counts. So much of life feels like we're stuck between this thing and the next thing. You know, we wait for Christmas and then it's gone and you feel like, well, is that it? What, what happens next? And then we move on to the next thing and we're trying to go, okay, when are the moments? We're looking for a moment. We're looking for something significant. We're looking for a sense of belonging. And, and I think the reason we do that is because God made us for each of those things. And so we have to figure out, okay, how do I understand what God's doing in my life? How do I work with what God's doing in my life? And how do I experience all that he wants to do in me? And I think this passage here in 2 Corinthians 4 is going to help us. If you've ever felt like, hey, you know, sometimes I miss the point. Sometimes I... I, I, I focus on the wrong thing. Sometimes I get confused and I get frustrated and I get upset. And the thing I want to do, I don't do. If you've ever felt that way, I feel that way sometimes. But if you've ever felt that way, then you're in good shape. Even though they lived thousands of years ago, on the other side of the world, you're kind of like an honorary Corinthian because they were really good at that. They were really good at getting their feelings hurt and getting upset and getting frustrated and getting focused on the other thing. And so Paul, in his letters to them, is trying to help them understand how do you live this good story. Look what he says here, 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 4. It starts with this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. There's that word again. That displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Here's what this is saying, two parts of this. I'm gonna start with the back part and then move to the front. The back part is the gospel, the good story is the image of God. It's about Jesus, the light of Christ who comes into the world. You know, that's the point of Christmas. The incredible point of Christmas is this all-powerful, infinite, eternal, uncreated God who feels so distant and other and far away. We celebrate this thing called the incarnation, meaning this other, eternal, all-powerful God humbles himself and becomes a man to be with us, to live with us, and to show us what God's like. That's the story of the gospel, this incredible picture. of God wants to become real. And when we couldn't understand him, when we couldn't see him, he moved into the neighborhood so he could touch and see. I love what the disciples say. That which we've seen with our own eyes, we've touched, we've experienced, this is the story we're sharing 
with each of us. So, so that's what the story is all about. But, but that first part said this, the God of this age. Maybe you call him the devil or the enemy or Satan. And not every problem is because of him, but, but he really has one trick and he keeps using it because it works. And here's his only move. His only move is to deceive and to lie. And he's gonna lie about everything. He's gonna lie about who you are. He's gonna lie about your family. He's gonna lie about your children. He's gonna lie about your spouse. He's gonna lie about Jesus. He's gonna lie about your church. He's gonna lie about God. And the truth is, that's his one move. But unfortunately, that one move keeps working. Because we as human beings, our hearts wander. And I would say this. It's an interesting day we live in because we've never been around more stories than ever than at any other time in human history. If you want to find somebody who's disgruntled and upset and, and, and mad at God, you don't have to go far. Actually, they come to you in your social media feed. There's people at work. There's people in your neighborhood. They're angry. They're mad. They've been blinded, not because they wanted to be, not because it's such a great way to live life, but because the enemy has caused them through their pain or through their difficulty or through their circumstances to see a version of God who's not God and to see a version of Jesus who's not Jesus. And, and if we're not careful, we can fall into that same trap. I love what he goes on to say here. Look with me in verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You might be saying, okay, this guy's loud and he's talking about Netflix and all these things that I'm not even sure we should be talking about in church. And, and if you don't like me, that's okay. It's a fine if you don't like me. If you're thinking like, man, can we please get Pastor Matt back up here? But, but, but here's the point I want you to see. I, I want you to think about this. Being a Christian, having a relationship with God is not about personalities. It's not about this guy's loud or that guy's quiet or this guy's this way. Here's the thing. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about demographics. It's not about religion. It's not about stuff we do. Make no mistake, at the center of Christianity is one thing and one thing only. If there's anything that I'm saying that's valuable, that has worth, that's worth remembering and taking with you when you leave this room, it's not a joke, it's not a story, it's a person, and his name is Jesus. And he loves you. And he sees you right where you're at. And he's not overly concerned with what you've done or what you haven't done. If there's anything that you get from what I'm saying today, make sure it's this. More than you remember the words or the phrases or the illustrations or the stories, I want you to think about this. The hope that we have is not in an ideology or a religion or a belief system. The hope we have is in Jesus. And he took down every barrier, every wall, everything that separated you from God. He moved it out of the way so that not your uncle or your cousin or that person who's really good, who does the right thing all the time, could know God. He did it so that you could know God. And if we tell ourselves that story, our lives will be different in 2019. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. No matter how dark your life may be, there's no darkness that the light of Jesus can't fully illuminate. And then the last verse here in this passage, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Here's the picture of what Paul's saying. Their jar of clay would have been like a water pitcher. 
very ordinary, very humble thing, would have been on the table every time they gathered together. Something that you could have easily passed by and say, that's ordinary. There's not really anything special in that. And, and what Paul's saying is this. When we gather as a church family, when you think about church, when you think about a relationship with God, when you think about this gospel message, there are a lot of people that go, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Or that's ordinary. Or I could do that whenever I want to do that. And Paul's making the point. Be careful. Be careful that you don't pass the thing that has more power, more hope, more light, more goodness. Be careful that you don't make a story that's extraordinary, ordinary, just because you've been around it your whole life. Here's the point. If we come to a place where we lose our awe, where we lose our wonder, where we lose the ability to be captivated by the story God's telling in our life, we don't cut ourselves off from religious duty or activity or things we should do. We cut ourselves off from the very thing that has the power to transform our lives. Because here's what I know to be true. You're, you and I, we're pretty good at getting caught up in the wrong story. I would go so far to say as I'm an expert at it, right? You get me, you get me tired, you get me hungry or hangry. Anybody else ever been hangry? You get me worn down. You, you tell me something and I get excited. You catch me at the wrong time. I'll get my hope and I'll buy a story that's not true, right? Like my friend right here is in a cowboy jersey. Those of you watching in Facebook Live, he's in a cowboy jersey. Now, myself, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. And so I'm a Seahawk fan, all right? Now, I'm not as intense as Judah Smith, who basically makes people leave his church. And he has a church in LA and a church in Seattle if they don't like the Seahawks. But I love the Seahawks. But, but here's a story, and I love all sports. Here's a story sports fans tell themselves. The story goes like this. If my team could win the Super Bowl, if my team could win the championship, if my team could win the big game, my life would be markedly different, and my life would have more meaning. Yeah, listen, as a I pray and listen, I get that story. I've lived that story. But as a Seahawk fan whose team was so terrible, we were embarrassed of them. We won the Super Bowl a few years ago. And for a few moments, it was awesome. But the next couple of days, of course, the next year, we went back to the Super Bowl. We were one play away from winning. Maybe you saw this, and we threw an interception on the one-yard line instead of winning two. Now, let me tell you, I was sad in the moment. My life didn't change. And sports is great, but let's be honest. What we're really doing, teams come, or players come, players go. Coaches come, coaches go. We who love our teams, we're rooting for laundry. We're cheering for clothes because the people leave and we put our hope in that. Now, it's a good thing to put your hope in, but it shouldn't determine your life. Yesterday, there was a football game with Clemson. I don't know if you like college football. There's a young kid who's got flowing golden hair. He's an impressive dude. He's a freshman quarterback. And they beat Notre Dame 30-3, to and they were asking him, how do you feel you played? And, you know, there was a lot of pressure and a lot of things riding on this. People are really hoping that you'll come through and deliver a championship. And he said, I try not to think about that. He's like, I have, I, my faith is really important to me. And he said, I, I have this relationship with Jesus, and whether I play great and people love me, or whether I play poorly and people are angry, it doesn't really matter because who I am isn't how I play on the field. It's who Jesus says I am. It's like, Wow. At 18, he's telling himself that story while 40 and 50 and 60 and 70-year-old people are watching him 
whose livelihood, security, and joy is set on what happens on a football field. We all can do it. We all can find ourselves in the wrong story. I, I told myself a story that was telling about my wife. I, I thought about so many times where I've missed the point. Uh, one in particular stood out. When uh, we got married early, I was 22, she was 20, she was still in college. And about a couple weeks into our marriage, I was like, man, I got this marriage thing figured out. I'm really good at it. And that was the story I was telling myself. And I had a friend, yeah, it's hilarious, right? I had, just buckle up, it gets a lot better. Um, I had a friend who'd been married a long time, and right before we got married, he goes, Jed, he goes, you know what's awesome with your wife? I go, what? You guys can have, sto- you guys talk and laugh, and you're, you're each other's best friends, and what, what I like to do with my best friends, you like to do this too. I know we play jokes and pranks on each other, and wives totally love that. I was like, that sounds cool, because I like that. And, and I didn't realize he was playing a prank on me. And so... Um, because I was like, I'm really good at making friends, and my friends in college, we all play jokes on each other, and we tell everybody those stories. It's so fun. So a couple weeks in, we're married, and, and we, she's still in college. We live in this apartment in this area that's not that nice, and so I'm coming home. I'm like, this would be a perfect time for a prank. I'll, I'll sneak in really quiet, so I come up to the door. She's listening to music. I use my ninja skills, and I open the door real quiet. I creep up behind her. I get right behind her, and I grab her shoulders, and I go, ha! And, and then her shoulders were up here. Because she jumped and she turned around and I was expecting the story I was telling myself was, she's going to laugh and she's going to be like, that's awesome, you got me. And she turned around and she burst into tears, which is rare for her. And a week later when she started talking to me, (laughs) she said, don't ever do that again. And so I realized what I thought was the right story, what I thought was going to be a great thing was the wrong thing, and that's a silly example. But, but here's what I want us to think about. The stories we tell ourselves matter. Do you know the good story God is telling in your life? And a lot of times you think pastors tell you, oh, tell your neighbor, invite your friend, be evangelistic. But many times I think we miss this piece of the puzzle that I think is so important. We gotta start, if we're gonna tell somebody else the good story, we gotta start by learning how to tell that story to ourselves every day. So before I pray for you, I have three little ways to help us do that. How do we preach the good news? How do we preach the good story? How do we preach the gospel to ourselves? Because here's what I believe. If we can learn how to do this just in our own lives, it'll radically transform 2019. Here's the first way that we do. Here's the first thing that happens when we tell ourselves this good story. We tell ourselves who God is. We tell ourselves who God is. There is no good story without a good God. And let me tell you, we have so many ideas and so many thoughts and so many misguided perceptions about God. And well-intended, talented people have done things that have really kind of changed the way we think about him. You think about, most people, when they think about God, they think about the Sistine Chapel and this really yoked, kind of like yoked up, gray-bearded guy with an arm who shoots lightning bolts from heaven. And we think of God as this guy who's watching. We think of him like Santa Claus, right? Like he's always watching and he's keeping a list and he's checking it twice and he's gonna find out who's naughty and nice, right? Like we project that onto God and that's not who he is at all. The Bible says while we were distant, while we were alienated, while nothing in us loved him, while nothing in us was deserving, while nothing in us was worth, he came to us and loved us. He looked at us and he said, you can't ever get to me, so I'll come down to you. If you don't see God that way, you'll live frustrated. 
You live angry, you live upset. If you think what most people in America think is God is this distant other person who's doing important spiritual things, but somehow he's keeping track of my life. And if I do more good things than bad things, then God will give me more good things than bad things. And it's a total fabrication. It's a story that's not worth telling. The good news is so much better than that. God loves you. When you think about God, think of Luke 15. Think about the father whose son, basically, whose young son asked for the inheritance, which is basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. And then he goes and squanders it and he blows it all. And when he's far off, the father goes out to meet him and he, and he throws his best robe on him and he gives him a party because he says, you are gone, you are dead, and now you've come home. That's the way God feels towards every one of us. And if you allow yourself to be convinced that God feels other than you, it'll change your life. I was listening recently to a worship song and it had this lyric. And it's powerful as I was thinking about it. It's focus on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. Think about that. How different will 2019 be? You say, Jed, even me, the stuff I've done, no way. I'm not one of those. God loves you. If there's anything you need to know today, God loves you. It doesn't mean he wants to endorse your life. It doesn't mean he, see, because here's the problem, I think, for many of us. We come to God because we want him to fix something. We want him to fix, and we think, God, if you'll fix my marriage, if you'll fix my kid, if you'll fix my work situation, if you'll fix my health, then, then I'll serve you. We think somehow we're coming to him when he's been calling us all along. And the amazing thing about God is, he loves us and he's generous and he does fix marriages and he does help kids and he does heal the sick and he does work in your work situation and he does provide for us everything we need for life and godliness. But what makes God God is not what he does for us, it's who he is in his person. If you'll come to the point in 2019 where you truly believe there's no greater thing you could be called than a friend of God, your life will be radically different. Do you know there's not a single area of your life he doesn't care about and that he won't talk with you? People say, Pastor Jed, do you believe people, God provides parking spots? Oh yeah, I believe he does. <laughs> you say, do you believe, you know, God's too busy. He doesn't care what you eat today. I believe he does. I believe he cares what you think about, what makes you laugh. I believe he'll come to as many places in your life as you'll invite him because that's the kind of God he is. And when you believe that, your life is just different. Here's the second thing. We tell ourselves about who we are. We tell ourselves about who we are. And this is hard for all of us because all of us are. The thing about Christmas that's so hard is that there, it's good moments and bad moments. It's wonderful moments and terrible moments. It's we gave so much and we great and then we spent too much. and we, It's all those things mixed together. And really, that's how we are ourselves. We're all a bundle of emotions. We, we do things that we like, man, I'm so proud of that moment. And then we do things that we're like, I can't believe I said that or did that. And so we live in this conflict and this turmoil. And, and, and really, I think for so many of us, part of the challenge of the holidays too is we get around our family and, and we're all telling stories and they see the old version of us and we're not, I'm not that person anymore. And we're always wrestling in this place. I think one of the reasons we get stuck in the wrong story is we have a hard time sorting out who we really are. 
We think about, here's, here's what I did, but that's not who I am. And, and, and so I, I think this might help you. How do we get stuck in the wrong story? Just a little simple, maybe a graph that can help us think about this. Here's how we get stuck in the wrong story. The first thing is we do, we experience emotions. Every one of us, every day. We have emotions. We get angry. We get offended. We get upset. We get happy. We get excited. We think, this is really good. i got to make this part of my life every day. And we think somehow if those are the moments that give us joy. And we, we mean the well, but we don't really know why we're feeling what we're feeling. And that leads us to the second thing. We can't process or articulate. Now, many of you guys are like, what's he talking about? This is getting weird. This is pretty touchy-feely. I don't want to sit around and talk about my emotions all the time, which I totally understand. Most of us are that way. We think if we stuff it, if we ignore it, it'll just go away. And, and that sounds like a good strategy for a little while, but, but what I've found to be true about most everyone is no matter how you stuff it, it doesn't go away, which really leads us to the third thing. If you never process or articulate how you're feeling, you begin to act on those emotions, and you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. You know, I have a 13-year-old son, which every 13-year-old boy says the same thing. You ask them, what were you thinking? They're like, I don't know. Why, why did you do that? I don't know. And they say that all the time. And the truth is they really don't know. There's a lot going on inside a 13-year-old boy. Um, but they're not the only ones. You ever do this? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You come to church? Oh, how, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed. Well, you don't really look like it, right? <laughs> and you think you're fooling everyone, but everybody knows what's going on. And because we don't ever sort through that, so we have to take the time to go, Okay, God, here's how I'm feeling. I love the Psalms. God's not scared of our honesty. You ever read the Psalms? Like half of them are David going, I hate my life, and these people are trying to kill me. God, I pray that you would come down and crush them into dust. And that made the final cut. That's in the Bible, right? Like, <laughs> God knows he's not scared of our emotions, but if we never deal with those things, we'll get stuck in a story that's not really ours. We'll start thinking, if I just had a better job, if I had a better spouse, if I had a better life, if I took better vacations, and we start to ask and long for things that have no power to deliver on the promise that we put in them, and we wonder why we're discontent. We wonder why we feel far from God. Here's the last thing before I pray for you. We tell ourselves who others are. I, I gotta tell you, I, I'm deeply concerned as a pastor for where we're at as a culture, not because of what's on TV or because of politics. Here's my... Biggest concern for where we are as a culture. We, we bought into this narrative that the problem in the world, that, that whether it's not enough money or not enough this, here's the narrative. There's not enough in this world, and so it's this group's fault that the world is not the way it should be. We're more tribal than we've ever been. And the internet, there's some great things about the internet, but the internet allows disgruntled, angry, similar people to find each other, and it makes us more isolated. We think it makes us more connected. It makes us more isolated, more frustrated, more angry, and more bitter. It, it, talking about politics, if you watch political news, we've, I, I don't think I have to belabor the point. We've, we've just descended into this discussion that's not even a discussion where we just yell and shout and get angry and march and do these things. And I'm not saying there's not a place for, for standing up against injustice, but we've bought this lie that my problem is somebody else out there. That this person in line, this person over there, there's too many people, there's too many things, there's too much out there, they're trying to take it from me. Ah, just people, go away. And then we wonder why we're dissatisfied in our relationships. The Bible said we're not created to be alone. And that's not just talking about you need to be married. 
We're created for relationship. We're created for connection. We're created for community. And our, our stories that we tell ourselves as a culture, I think we can all agree, they have zero power to produce unity and community that people are longing for. The only way to do it is to play by a different story, to believe a different story. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the whole world will know you love me, not by how much church you go to, not by how many Bible verses you memorize. They'll know you love me by the way you love each other. But he didn't just stop there. He said, if you really love me, you'll be able to tell because you'll love your enemies. He said, if you really want to love someone, you should love someone the way that you want to be loved. But he didn't stop there. He said, if you really want to love someone, you should love someone the way that I've loved you. Now, I don't know about you. That's impossible for me to do. It's not natural. It's natural for me to be selfish. It's natural for me to be anxious. It's natural for me to be worried. It's not natural to be generous and loving and others focused. And sometimes I have to be so intentional. My wife tells me, honey, you have a terrible resting face. I was like, what's a resting face? She's like, the way you look. It's like, that's not the most encouraging thing for a wife to say to a husband. She's like, I love you. I'm just trying to speak the truth in love. I said that at, at Milestone one time, and we, after the service, I was shaking hands. This lady comes up. She's like, your wife's right. I saw you at Starbucks. You have a mad resting face. It's like, God bless your ministry. She's like, I loved your message. I was like, well, it doesn't seem like it, right? Like, look at my face. No, so here's what I have to tell myself. The life that I'm looking for I can't find it on the other side of mad resting face. Being mad at people, being frustrated, being anxious. The life I'm looking for, the story I've got to believe is I'm called to love. I'm called to give. I'm called to serve. I'm called to smile. I'm called to greet. Now, now when I run or when I ride my bike, I'll go through the park a lot, and I'll just tell myself, I'm waving at every person. I'm smiling. I don't even care if I look like a disingenuous TV weatherman. I'm not going to let... Mad resting face, hold me back from loving. Because here's the thing. My life is so much better when I try to serve, when I try to love, when I try to be generous than when I try to think about myself first. And I have to work to tell myself that story. I want to pray for you. What's the story you're telling yourself? What's the story you want to live in 2019? God has a better story for you and I. Jesus we're so grateful for your presence and your peace. Lord, whether we're in this room or we're watching online, God, I thank you that you've got a good story. Lord, you've got a story that's better than any story we could come up for on our own. So God, I'm asking you to help us to see where have we allowed pain and hurt? Where have we allowed frustrations? Where is selfishness? Where is our own guilt and shame? causes us to see you in a way that's not who you really are. Lord, where have we missed it in the way that we think about ourselves? Lord, Lord and where have we gotten off track in the way we see other people? God, we want to live the life we've been created to live. Lord, you said in your word, you came to give us life and life more abundantly. It's a better, more fulfilling more significant. Lord, it's better than we can possibly imagine. And Lord, we don't have to wait till we die and go to heaven to experience that life. You brought it for us so that we could live it now. God, I'm praying for every one of us. You're there and you say, I, I want that life. Just in your own words, say, Jesus, help me to live this story. Help me to live this life I was created to live. 
God, I'm praying that for every one of us, not, not hype, not preacher talk, but that every one of us, that 2019 would be the best year we've ever lived because we're closer and more connected to your story than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at